Good morning. Okay, we're going to start in Judges 13, 1 through 5. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of Danites, Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born ch- children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink. Be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing of uncle- nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the children shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Judges 13, 8 through 20. The Manoah prayed. Then Manoah prayed for the Lord to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again and teach us what we are to do with the children who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to, the, to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the children's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I have said, to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that it comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine nor strong drink or eat anything un- unclean. And after that, I command her to let her observe. Manoah said to the angel, the Lord of the Lord, please let her detain you. Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food, but you Prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that when your words come true, we, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain of offering and offerings offered it on the rock of the Lord to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward the heavens from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. Judges 13, 24 through 25. And the woman bore a son, called his, na- called his name Samson. And the young woman grew, young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in... Hmm? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, this is the one that I didn't practice. Um, my Manahana didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Between Zorah and Eshtael. Judges 14, 1 through 7. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now he got her from her. Now he got, get, well, now get her for, for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me as she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines at the time of the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyard of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lions and lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father of it or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, that she, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Judges 14, 10 through 20. His father went down to the, to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast for, there. For, the, for so the young man used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, 
then I will give you the 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And then he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in the three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with a fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to me, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days after their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people, and the man of the city, the men of the city, said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, "What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion?" And he said to them, "If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not found my riddle." And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to the to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who have told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Thank you. All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, the grove and, and the community that we all share here, Lord. Um, we've seen all through Judges that uh, when we try and do life by ourselves, uh, we fail. Um, and um, we just pray that um, we put our focus on you and, and know that uh, you have a plan, and, and we need to trust that plan, Lord. Um, as we listen to Lance uh, preach this morning, give us eyes to see ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Amen. Thank you all very much. It's a lot to read. Appreciate you all. Um, all right, so we're in the book of Judges as we just read, and when we think of Samson, what do you think of? Okay, here's a delayed introduction. This is my buddy Brett. He spoke at the men's retreat, and he talks. That's what he does. So uh, we're grateful for you here, brother. <laughs> That's right. I appreciate it. So as we got done with that, Brett just looked over at me, and he goes, have fun with that one. Um, but when we think of Samson, what are we thinking of? We're usually thinking of beautiful hair, uh, as I usually think of, and also Delilah, uh, that's what we're thinking of. This is not Delilah. This is pre-Delilah. So just to kind of get our bearings on this story, we often think, okay, we have assumptions about the Bible, and then we get into the, to the details of it, and those details start to kind of rob us of what we thought was happening and, and provide something far greater. Um, I have a confession to make as we start, and it's this. I hate riddles. Like, I got, I got duped by an 11-year-old at the softball fields last week, and he came up and told me a riddle. I wasn't paying attention to it. He literally said, I have a riddle, and then he gave me the riddle, and I failed, and then one of the other adults goes, you finally got someone. And I was like, oh, dog. <laughs> like, I'm like, ah, oh, I knew I hated riddles, but there is one riddle that I like, and I actually am going to tell it. And actually, it was to the delight of one of our elders who's not even here. But nonetheless, Cooper, pass it along to your dad. It's just for him. So here it is. It's his favorite riddle. He always tells it. And it's the riddle of the green glass door. Do you know this riddle? For those of you that know it, you're going to love it. And for those of you that don't know it, you're like, hey, I do hate riddles. In the land of the green grass, green grass? Hello. Green glass door, there are riddles but no answers, sheets but no blankets, and books but no words. Name something found in the land of the green glass door. And if you know the riddle, you know, well, I don't want to give it away, but I kind of want to give it away. Give it away? All of you that didn't Google it by now is like, don't do it. You're giving away my secrets. And that's probably what Samson felt like. You're giving away some secrets here, unknown wife, don't know who, what her name is. 
And you're also feeling like on the other side of things, if you don't know the riddle, a little bit like the companions at the bachelor party after three days of trying to figure it out, and you just want to murder someone for making me a fool. On both ends of this riddle, you can be a little bit confused, frustrated, ex- ex- uh, what's the word, exacerbated, right? And ultimately, I think we can find ourselves, and in that emotion, I think we can see really the hope that we can find in this particular passage, because I think it's this. Today, I'm going to talk about, um, ultimately, it's these riddles that we can solve in Samson's origin story. I'm going to tell you three riddles, and actually, they're just questions. Questions, because I'm not clever enough to come up with a riddle, but they are questions for us that I think are riddles in our hearts if we've not really paid attention to the details of what's going on. So as we dig into this, here's what I know, um, is that this next judge, right, this judge that we're going to spend this week and next week on, Samson, it is like we are getting caught up in this like crazy storm and chaos of a madman. That's how I feel whenever I read through Samson. It's not someone I want to follow. He's not someone that I look at and I go, oh, I could see why God used him. There's not one redeeming quality that I can find in him ultimately, other than he tears a lion in half like a young goat. And I'm not sure that that, like, that reminds me of the Jesus of the New Testament. I get excited about it. I want to see a movie about it. But I don't know if I want to follow that guy and be good friends with that guy. I don't know if I want to go to his bachelor party, if you know what I mean. It's not a safe space. And yet this is the, this is the guy This is the guy that God chose, that God prophesied before he was born to a barren woman to give her hope. Not just any kind of woman. This is the fulfillment of longing, decades perhaps, of longing for a child. And then all of a sudden, God provides this child for this couple, and it is nothing but heartache. Nothing but disappointment. And I look at that and I go, man, that's us, isn't it? We're the, we're, the, we're the answer to somebody's prayers, and yet we're also somebody's probable disappointment along the way. We see ourselves in this story, and it's, it's a little bit chaotic, but if we would just look at it, I think we will see the answer to some really deep questions that we have here. Samson was chosen by God. He's given a Nazarite vow and then goes quickly to ignore it. He is driven by his sexual appetites. He's quick to dishonor his parents. He, I didn't even get to this part. We couldn't even read this part in chapter 15 that we are kind of covering. He, he sets an entire town ablaze with 300 foxes that he ties together by their tails, and he puts a torch in the middle of them, and they're just panicked, trying to run from each other, but they're tied together. What a crazy, sociopathic, chosen instrument of God. That's the hard part, isn't it? What's God up to? When he doesn't quite make the sense that we want him to make. Is he absent? We say he's, he's omnipresent, right? Is he not, did he not know what Samson was going to be? But we say he's omniscient, meaning he, he knows all things. Did he, was he not powerful to stop Samson in all this? I mean, Samson is strong after all. But we say he's omnipotent. Is he? When our circumstances start to maybe tell a different story. What story will we be captured by and captivated by? And that's really the heart of, I think, this first part of Samson's life. So what is riddle number one? What is the mission? That's the first question. What is the mission, if you will go into this story a bit with me. Manoah and his wife were barren, and God announces the impossible. In chapter 13, verse 3, I just want to read a couple of verses along the way to get our bearings. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, we don't know her name, by the way, behold, you are barren, as if she needed to be reminded, and you have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. This should remind us of the New Testament, the announcement of the great birth of our Savior, and that's exactly what God wants us to think about. That though there was a false God, a false Savior in Samson, it will point us to the true God and the true Savior in Jesus, and we'll unpack more of that perhaps next week. But it's just a little preview. 
the angel gives instructions for the Nazarite vow in verses 4 and 5, like don't drink any wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean, you shall conceive and bear a son, you shall not touch his head with a razor because he is going to be a Nazarite from the womb, right? What, 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 what instructions are these all about? It comes from number 6. It was meant to be a very temporary thing like Lent where you get real serious about something to be able to get something from God or at least press into his presence so you can sense what he's up to. And the entire life of Samson was devoted to that kind of discipline and strict rule. It's no wonder he kind of rebels a bit from this whole thing. The angel gives instruction. The angel gives instruction for the Nazarite vow to Manoah's wife and Manoah responds with great faith. If you look at this, he's not even there for the announcement, but Manoah, the father in all of this, responds with great faith. If you just look at the, at the details, now in chapter uh, 13, verse 8, then Manoah prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with this child. <laughs> I love his faith. I'm encouraged by his faith. Yeah, great. I believe that this prophecy is going to come true. Doesn't even doubt it, but I really freaked out by what to do with it. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be responsible with this calling now that you've given me. That's Manoah. That's every parent that ever lived. I have no clue how to do this. If you could, if you could please send back down the angel that made all this happen, and maybe he could just tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do with this ball of flesh that we call a human. I don't know what to do. I love his faith, and look at what he also says in verse 12. Beautiful example. It's not Samson. It's Manoah. And Manoah said in verse 12, now when your words come true, are you seeing this? There's no doubt here. There's assurance. When your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of, of life, and what is his mission? What is the mission? What am I, how do I do this, and why am I supposed to do it? What, if, if this is really from you, and he doesn't really even know yet it's from God, if this is from you, what should I do? I don't know when the last time that you've asked the question, why am I here? But I'm going to bet you there's enough young people in the room to be asking the question, why did you create me, God? And I'm going to bet you there's a lot of uh, enough confused middle-aged folks in the room as well going, why did you create me, God? What is my mission? What is the mission of my child and what am I as a child? What is my mission on the earth? Is it just to go to work five days a week, work my butt off and just to pay the bills? Are we really just working for the weekend? Is there something else that God has put us for? What is this question that he's asking for us? It's a riddle that I think we could really spin our wheels on if we're not careful. But God has given us the answer all along in his scripture, and that's actually what happened with Manoah. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? And the angel answers, and he goes, now remember that Nazarite vow. He doesn't give him any further instruction. And this is where all the practicality of Christianity falls apart. Because oftentimes we want to know how do we do this. And God oftentimes answers with a who. He doesn't, say, he doesn't give us the instructions on how. He gives us the answer in who. You remember um, in the New Testament in John 14? Jesus is describing to his disciples that he is going to go away and he's going to prepare a place for them. And then he ultimately says, like, you know the way of where I am going. And Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. I would call him Honest Thomas. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, actually. We've no, you've been talking cryptic for three years. We don't know where you're going. And because we don't know where you're going, we certainly, he says, how can we know the way? How can we know? We have no clue the destination, the mission, and we don't know how to do this, the manner of life. You know what Jesus' answer is? I am the way and the truth and the life. What's the point in this? Not to confuse us. 
is to get our bearings around it really doesn't matter how as long as you are aimed at who. It really doesn't matter how you honor and glorify God as long as it is God that you are glorifying in all things. See, that's the point in this whole thing is that what's the mission? The mission is to honor God, is to honor Jesus. And as long as you know that God is behind your mission, then you can bear with the uncertainty of not knowing how to do what God has called you to do. As long as you know who you're doing it for, then all the mistakes in the world don't matter, and they don't define us. So the point here is to fix your eyes on Jesus. He says it in Matthew 6, to fix your eyes on Jesus. Not that one. It's to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be given to you. I can't tell you how many times I've told people the secret to marriage. You know the secret to marriage? You know the secret to parenting? But mainly marriage? Seek Jesus. You know how you become a better husband and a better wife if you're struggling to figure that out? Pursue the kind of love that Jesus loved you with. And then by God's grace and the Spirit's presence and power, love your spouse in the same way that he loved you. If you will pursue to love Jesus, then I'm going to bet you if God really is doing a work in you, you will become a better spouse. But if you pursue to be a better spouse, there is no guarantee that you're going to become like Jesus. One leads to the next. It's not always interchangeable. So we must seek first his kingdom. And so really, what do we do with this first riddle? And I think it's this age-old reminder that God calls us to do impossible things, things we cannot do, with resources that we do not have for the rest of our lives with him. He will call us to do impossible things with unclear instructions. And so what are you going to do? Wait for the instructions? He's not going to give them. This is a journey of faith. This is a journey of trust. Like if I go and put together a Lego set, I want instructions because I'm not on a journey of faith. I want a finished product. I want to be able to look at it and be like, look what I did. But we're not putting Legos together. We're We're trying to solve life's biggest riddles and honoring God in all things. And so it's not always A plus B equals C. Sometimes those Lego instructions are a trap. Instead, the biggest thing that God wants to create in us is hearts of faith, of deeper trust. And if that's true, then he's going to withhold certainty from us. Is he not? Yeah, I don't like it either. But it's the truth. Here's the assurance that we have in this first part. Verse nine of chapter 13. You remember verse eight? How are we gonna know? What do we do? This is crazy, I don't really know how this works. Verse nine, and God listened to the voice of Manoah. Don't ever get over the fact that the God of the universe listens to you. That's the how. You keep pressing into the joy and the assurance that comes that he is listening. You may not get the answer you want. You may not get the answer you you think you need at the time that you need it. But he is listening to your voice because you're his. Samson will prove in just a moment. It's not because we deserve to be listened to. It's because you're his. Ambiguity often is, the, is oftentimes the breeding ground for faith. And so if you are lost in this room and you're asking big existential questions, like what's the purpose of life and why am I here, I want to just point you to an old saying of to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why you're here on the earth, not in this room, although that's true too. God has designed you to worship him, to honor him, and to glorify him. That's why you're here. If you're a saved person, if you're a believer and you're wondering, how in the world do I honor and glorify God in this thing? Focus your energy less around how and more on the why on what you're doing. If you're weary in the room, if you've been a Christian for a long time, and you're just burning through the gas, the little gas that you have left in the tank, like the light has been on for a long time, And the number on the screen of miles that you have to go to empty has been depleted for a long time now. 
and it's down to like one. I don't know about your little computer in your car, but mine goes from like 15 to one in a second. Like, I had 15. That's oftentimes life. If you're weary, quit worrying, though, about the results and get back to what you're here for, and that is worship. Because that's what the angel of the Lord does with Manoah. I don't have time to go back into it. But he says, look, basically, my name is too wonderful for you to know. I'm not going to tell you my name, says the angel of the Lord, which I've already said before, most likely Jesus, before it's Jesus. My name is too wonderful for you. Instead, offer a burnt offering unto the Lord. And Manoah does it, and he realizes all of a sudden it's God. He knows that if he knew who God was, God knows. If he knows it's God that's calling him to do it, there's no sweat on how to get it done. So that's riddle number one. What is the mission? Honor and glory to God. How? Just keep focusing on him. That riddle, though, pales in comparison to the next two. Second riddle I have before us is this one. Why does God use that guy? Why does God use who he uses? You ever been in a church where you've said, why is God using that guy? I have. Why doesn't God exact judgment? I've been in a city where the city is known for all kinds of things. Church planting is one of them through Houston Church Planting Network, but also the, 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 the seat of prosperity gospel. And I often wonder, Lord, why are you not stepping in to protect your bride from deception and difficulty and destruction? What is up? You ever had that question go through your heart? No? Just me? I oftentimes think, what is going on with God's leaders? And I'm allowed to say that because I'm one of them. We may be small, but I'm still in charge of a little flock with, along with the other elders. And I'm also allowed to ask the question because, like Samson, I have many flaws. I often think I know the way. I often go, I want it because I want it. It's in me. But the more you read this story, the more you throw your hands up, especially in an age of deconstruction and cynicism and fallen leaders. I mean, we were in, we, this last summer, we just talked about all the, like, many churches that are in transition because of a pastor's failure in our area. What is up? What's going on? Lord, protect me. Let me be clear, though. Samson isn't good enough to be his leader. God just wants to use him. And that's God's prerogative. That he will use broken people to, to pass along a flawless message in a very broken and underwhelming way. And all of you at the Grove said amen. God gives Samson a purpose and Samson gives himself to his passion. Let me say that again. God gives Samson a purpose, and Samson gives himself to his passions. Repeatedly. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14, he saw a woman that was forbidden for him, right? Until he doubles down, and he says, I don't care. She looks right, not just good. You get the difference now. She doesn't just look good in my eyes. She looks right. This is God's chosen way for me. There's no way to, other than to put God on some things than to just get people to back down from your crazy ideas if you just say, God called me to do this. He seems right in my eyes. His riddle shows immaturity. He's at a bachelor's party, and he wants wealth. That's the whole thing of what he's doing. It shows immaturity. It's compulsive. He proves to be unteachable, stubborn, unhealthily attached to his parents. You ever notice how many times he goes, but my mommy and daddy say, and I gotta go back to my mommy and daddy and report to them, and I gotta feed, some, feed my mommy and daddy with some honey. He's just an unhealthy attachment to his parents and his mother and his father. Even when his wife, we don't know the name of, is like, tell me the real, he goes, I haven't even talked to my mommy and daddy about that. 
He disregards his Nazarite vow. He couldn't care less about that. He dishonors his parents with the honey. His bride easily manipulates him into giving up the one thing that he basically is set up to not give up. And he proves irresponsible to his relationship to her in hot anger, basically abandoning her. It's no wonder that her father goes, well, well, he's gone, so we'll go ahead and give her to the best man. And all of this, what is going on? And it ends ultimately in vengeance. The story doesn't end in, the, in, in chapter 15. It goes on into 16. But this story ends in vengeance where he sets the, sets the whole city on fire and kills uh, ultimately the father and this wife that he had. He does that. And this is God's set-apart chosen child. Well, if that doesn't cause you to, cause, to ask some questions, we're not paying attention. That's indeed a riddle that I don't know that I have the answer to. But even with all the flaws of Samson, perhaps more than anyone else in the Old Testament, the Spirit is stirring. At the end of chapter 13 and 25, it says the Spirit stirred in him as he grew. How did he tear this lion in half? It was the Spirit rushing upon him. How did he also repay his gambling debt? It was by the Spirit of the Lord exacting vengeance on the Philistines and killing 30 Philistines. I got to back up from that one. There's some difficulty in that we have to acknowledge. But there is some things that we can ask. Like we can ask the questions of like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing on that one. And I don't know that I have to. Because we just sang three songs about God's goodness. You're never going to let me down, Lord. We're going to end with Romans, like your favorite passage. That all things work together for the good of those who love him. Including all kinds of chaos that we can't make sense of, especially the chaos that we can't make sense of. But here's what I think. Here's my best, my best guess. It's not, not like, thus saith the Lord, but here's my best guess. Why is God using someone so contrary to his standards of leadership? Why then does he then celebrate Samson in Hebrews 11 as an example of faith? We're not there yet in the story. That will come next week. It will come next week. What is going on? I think two things. First, God will use whoever he wants. Praise the Lord. He will use whoever he wants to do whatever he wants, the Lord, for however long the Lord assigns for all of us. Thank God for that. And a second thank God because no one earns that position. Samson is the glowing reminder that not one leader has earned their right to be on a stage or around a table in a position of authority on any level. Church, government, teacher, parent, we weren't good enough or responsible enough for God to go, here's the keys of the kingdom. Who you forgive will be forgiven. Who you don't forgive won't be, be forgiven. I have to know who's worthy of forgiveness? No! There's a mystery in this and a responsibility that we're still called to hang on to. God uses, God's use of Samson does two things. Corrects our assumption that anyone is good enough to be chosen for God's program of leadership and it invites us to examine what excuses we've been making for not jumping in. I'm not good enough, Lord. Yeah, yeah, see Samson. I don't know if I got my priorities straight. Mm -hmm. He's still God's chosen instrument of change and judge and judgment. What's right and wrong? This guy's going to tell everybody what's right and wrong. So what what excuses have you been making that you've been sitting out for far too long? I'll tell you mine. I got my buddy Brett here, so I can tell this story. He was sitting next to me in the church planting boot camp at DTS. And we took our personality tests, and his came out green and glowing, mm, cool, and mine came out red, as in never, ever, ever 
ever, ever, ever plant a church. And you know what? That affected me. And I saw Brett go on and plant a church, and his church doing great still to this day, 15 years later, praise the Lord. And I saw myself go, all right, well, I'm not supposed to be a lead pastor, and I'm not supposed to be a church planner. Let me figure this out. And we figured it out for a while until God made it pretty clear that season of life was over. It was now time to do what you've been told not to do by a personality test or a spiritual gift assessment. You know, God never says to go take a personality test or a gift assessment. It doesn't. He says, get to work. Use your gifts. Fumble into finding them. And the way that you do that is actually by just putting your hand to the plow and getting it done. And somebody else will go, hey, maybe you shouldn't teach anymore. And you go, okay, I was wondering. <laughs> or maybe you teach and everybody goes, whoa, I didn't know that was in you. Praise the Lord. Let's, we need to get, let's get you going. That's what we need more of in God's body. So, like, are we to disregard the standards of leadership that God sets out for us in the New Testament? No. Judges isn't the standard, the place where you go to go, what's a good leader look like? <laughs> it's not where you go. But we are reminded again and again, like, we don't keep on sinning just because God is gracious as leaders or as followers, which we're all both on some level or another. Romans 6 tells us, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that may, grace may abound? And Paul's strongest statement he could put, may it never be, by no means. How can we who died to sin is gone, still live in it? Verse 6, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, purpose statement, why was all that happening? Why did we get put to death? Why is our old man or woman gone? So that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. What good news we have. That at one point we were only sinning and now we are no longer enslaved to that sin. No longer is, slave, is, is sin our master. If you get nothing else from Samson, perhaps you can get this. 2 Timothy 2.13 I know it sounds like I'm landing the plane. I'm really not. <laughs> Second Timothy 2.13 says this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Christian, if you have been struggling with sin, God will not deny you. He will only continue to call you closer to himself, to re discover the grace and the joy that you have in him. Now, he may give you up for a season into sin so that you can learn not to sin anymore. But his ultimate desire is to continue to bring you close to him. And that's going to lead us into the biggest riddle of all. Number three, what is God doing? What is God up to? see, this part of the riddle is equal parts, puzzling and encouraging, because if you go back, and I say, I went out of order on purpose, if you go back to chapter 14, verse 3, just read it with me again. I'll probably read it a couple times. But his father and his mother said to him, is there not a woman? He already says, like, I want this lady. I saw her. I saw her. I would like her. His father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of your people, all of our people, that you must go to take as a wife, that you have to go and take this wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, go get her for me. What? For she is right in my eyes. Now look at verse 4. You want to know what God's up to? Which we had all the perspective of the narrator. You'll notice the end quotes there. Now the narrator steps in. From God's perspective, he gives this beautiful picture, and it's still painful, though beautiful. His father and his mother did not know that it was from the Lord. What? His sinful desire for that woman was from God. For he, God, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. 
Are you reading this? Are you catching this? Well, God's at work on levels I never, I never thought. God is at work in levels that I, I don't know that, uh, that, that, that this story, um, it, it illumines some things in me that I don't know that I would have had outside of this story. And then I start reading other pieces of Scripture. Proverbs 21. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. If the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, then a judge's heart, Samson, is in the hand of the Lord. If a judge's heart is in the hand of the Lord, then so too is yours. And there are some things that you want in life that are good and honorable to God, and there are some things that you want in life that aren't. And somehow in this crazy big picture world, God has both in his hands doing what he ultimately wants to do. I don't know about y'all, my mind's blown thinking about this. God had a purpose even through Samson's passions. And even Samson's passions could not thwart his purposes. All right, we're at the deep end now, and I did this on purpose. I just want us to just dial in. We got to go deep here real quick. The text is calling for us to go a little deeper. Have you ever asked yourself, asked the Lord, asked someone, if God knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin, why did he let it happen? That's it. That's at the heart of what we're reading right now. If God knew that this was sinful, it was a desire that was going to end in all, these, all this pain for Samson. What in the world is happening? Why would you let that happen? Could you not have done it another way? Lord, in all your wisdom, this is the way? This is the way. It, 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 this is stirring up in you. I, I just like, I don't know. That seems like a God that I don't know that I can trust. I assure you, his care and his plan and his will is far greater than one that you can come up with. Just ask Adam and Eve when we get to see him. But I'll, I'll say this. This is not the only time that God uses the sins of humanity to accomplish his purpose. Acts 2.23, it said of Jesus. Peter is preaching and he's speaking to the Jewish officials, and he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified him. Definite plan, never even a doubt about how God was going to do it, and that he used these people to commit sin, to kill the Savior, so that he would be indeed the Savior. He sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And he says, and you killed and crucified him by the hands of lawless men. And this goes all the way back to the fall. And we're wrestling now with perhaps one of the greater riddles of the Bible and of all following Jesus. Why did God allow the fall to happen if he knew it was going to happen? Why did you let this happen in my life that was just full of sin and difficulty? And yes, it was my fault. What were you going to prevent it? What happened? If you're good, Lord, and we're singing, you'll never let me down. I, oh, I, got, I got some thoughts that maybe you have let me down. One of my favorite bands is King's Kaleidoscope. And um, I realize they're not very popular, but I'll, I'll invite you to take a listen, maybe even just to this song. It's called Felix Culpa. Latin, and you're all going, ooh, I'd love, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, I need a foreign band that has Latin songs. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Felix Culpa is Latin for fortunate fall. Fortunate fall. Listen to some of the lyrics. A fortunate fall. My sins are stories of grace to recall. A fortunate fall. I glory in my sins forgiven not in my sins. My sins forgiven. Jesus bought me and now I am his. Dying with him in his death I now shall live. And all my vices to which I was chained only speak of the sweetness of my Savior's grace. A fortunate fall. And then they jam out. 
I was listening to it this morning in my headphones, and Moses usually comes down. My son Moses comes down the stairs usually on Sunday mornings. He knows I'm awake. He can't see me. He goes, morning, Dad. Today he didn't hear me say morning back. Morning, Dad. He didn't hear me say something back. He walks into my office, and I'm jamming out. And he's dying laughing when I open my eyes. I was with the Lord, Moses. (laughs) What's the point? Even my sins are opportunities to tell of God's grace and of God's glory. So if we believe that Romans 8.28 is true, and we do, then it even means our sins are somehow in this plan of God that he is working together for good. Now let me point you back to Romans 6. Should we just keep on sinning? By no means. May it never be. We've put to death our old body of sin and crucified it so that we wouldn't be enslaved anymore. So if you want to keep on sinning, the Bible calls that going back to an old master of sin and the devil and obeying him. But we don't have to live that life anymore. He's freed us from that kind of enslavement to live for him. So what is God up to? He is using all things to accomplish his mission on the earth. And his mission for us isn't so different than his mission for Israel and Samson at the time. So let me just finish verse 4 so you can see his mission. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking opportunity against the Philistines. He was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Now, here's a history lesson. Here we go. This will be the end. The Philistines' means of rule was different than the Ammonites and the Canaanites and all the other ites that we've talked about so far. The judge so far has been, all right, let's raise up an army. Let's go up against them. And yet for Samson, the Philistines' um, strategy to defeat the Israelites wasn't warfare. It was absorption through intermarriage. And so, it's no wonder that his dad was like, do not take one of these Philistines. You are, 2 Corinthians talks about being yoked, joined with a non-believer. If we make that compromise, we are compromising our faith. But if you have made that compromise, there's further instructions in 1 Corinthians 7. Stay with the unbeliever. Or who knows whether or not you might win them over. If that's you, stay. If they've left, the Bible says let them go. If you're in that situation, I don't want to breeze past that. But there is this prohibition for all of us, especially young ladies in the house. We've got a lot of teenagers, a lot of teenagers, men and women. Do not compromise. If you compromise, all right, y'all can get real, here we go. If you compromise, just for pleasure, you will, you will endure a lifetime of difficulty. You will have a moment of pleasure and a lifetime of difficulty. If you need proof, let's reread Samson. He murders his first wife. His, he goes and sleeps with another lady and then finally gets with Delilah, and that becomes a problem pretty quickly. See, this isn't about really Samson. It's about us. We too have been duped by the culture around us. It too wants to absorb us. Because you know why? In two or three generations, you'll no longer even, your kids' kids, not only will they not know your name, but they won't know what you were so devoted to. If we just intermarry, if we just get absorbed, or not even like intermarriage. It could just be, we go to church because that's what we do, guys. Never mind about the deeper things of God and the difficult questions that the text is asking of us. Enough about that. We just trust. We don't invite our kids to wrestle with the difficulties with us, along with us. We come and we get entertained instead of formed. And those are different. Or we attend just for the sake of attendance instead of growth and maturity. We're getting absorbed in in the Christian subculture. Brett was telling me of a, of a church in his town, and they sent out flyers, and it was like, short services, awesome guitars, not your grandmother's church. 
You love it. I hate it. Pretty sure Jesus does too. Wow, that shouldn't have come out. My apologies. Like, y'all wouldn't know that I'm Italian by knowing my last name. I'm half Italian. In two or three generations, there's no language for me to pick up on. And he's not even my last name. Like, Williams is Irish. How? I won't say compromise, but intermarriage. And over time, you just lose some distinctiveness, and you blend all together. Right? What is God up to? He's looking for an opportunity to confront the parts of us that are being absorbed into the culture around us. And it doesn't even have to be the worldly culture. It could just be a Christian subculture. And we forget that God's ultimate purpose, we're landing the plane now, is to bring us back to his side as our good shepherd, as the forgiver of sins, and as the author and the perfecter of our faith. See, the rest of the story is going to tell us that God will capture the heart of his people in one way or another. Samson will end up blind. Those eyes he used, God's going to take out. And he finally sees. But it was not without much suffering. So if you're in the room, you've been standing in judgment of God's ways. Me too. I don't know why you do these things, Lord, but I don't agree. I don't know why you've let these things happen to me, but I wish you had tried something else. We stand in judgment of his ways one way or the other. God is calling us to trust him on deeper levels in ways that we never thought we could, and it will come with much uncertainty. And that may be our suffering. But to call is to trust. And perhaps if you're in the room and you're not a believer yet and you stand in judgment of him in a prideful way, perhaps it's time to no longer suffer through pride, but to surrender the one who suffered for you, so that you might find his joy through full forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful, and we love you. And we only love you because you loved us. So as we do land the plane, I pray that we wouldn't get in a hurry, but that you would remind us that we're yours, that we are distinct, that we haven't been absorbed in the culture around us. And if there's even a thread in us that's still faithful to you, Lord, you promise to be faithful to us. May we hold true, hold strongly to these promises and the truths that you have in the scriptures. That though we we may wade in some really mysterious and deep waters, riddles upon riddles, you do have the answers. And the answer is in your son Jesus. That we worship him and follow him all the days of our lives. In Christ's name, amen.